what does the word intentional mean for you? Well, my immediate association is with uh, is focus and clarity. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. All righty, everybody, we are back and I have an awesome episode for everybody. Before I jump in, just a quick announcement. If you are not aware, we have an intentional growth boot camp coming up. It is in Orlando, Florida on May 11th and 12th. And during this boot camp, it's based on the five intentional growth principles. We have two case studies, Summit and Jordan, that are 10 million in revenue, a million in EBITDA. We give a lot of context about these companies, about what they want, their timelines. And then we use those case studies and the five principles to highlight all the important topics we talk about in every one of these episodes, like how do you determine what you want from the business and why? How do you figure out how to view the company as a financial asset? Therefore, understanding multiples, valuations, and understanding deal structures, net proceeds. And then we jump into exit options, like what's the difference between ESOPs, private equity firms, internal transfers, strategic buyers, acquisition entrepreneurs, and how do all those exit options impact the valuation deal structure in your role so then you can then go grow value to create the choices that you want. So then we're, we're jumping into finance, understanding how to project out the value of the business like we are always talking about so you can see into the future your cash flow, distributions, working capital, taxes, all tied to that target equity valuation. So check it out, the curriculum at Arcona.io on the bootcamp tab. We got videos, curriculum, we got the trailer as well. So I appreciate you letting me do that. And then that leads us into Jonathan Jay, who is our guest today. And my gosh, does Jonathan have one heck of a story for us because he talks about the ups and downs of his entrepreneurial career that started at the age of 19 after he dropped out of the university. And one of the stories Jonathan talks about is how he bought a company for a dollar and then turned around and sold it for a couple million dollars. But then he follows up with his most recent journey of buying 48 uh, child care centers in, in London over the course of, I don't remember exactly what the timeline was, but it was during the pandemic. And he just recently got bought out of that. And so that was not as easy as the first turnaround. So the Jonathan is so genuine, so authentic about how he talks about what was on his mind, why he did the things that he did, how he financed things, the risk that was going on as he was trying to hit the payroll of all of those employees of the companies he was buying and how that led him to actually ending up in the hospital a hospital over the course of that uh, journey and then where he's at now, why he's happy, he's excited, and uh, he's looking forward to the things that he's doing. The point is, it is one hell of a ride being an entrepreneur and Jonathan doesn't leave anything out for the most part. And I'm excited because I, I'm seeing a lot more of these people come out around that are talking about how easy it is to buy a business for no money down and just roll it all up and sell it. It's like, sure, that's a possibility. But business is hard and being an entrepreneur is hard. And if you've managed payroll and working capital, you know that. So this episode's for you if you're in that boat. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And here's Jonathan Jay. 
You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be, and you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace, and you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing when realistically you have the option to just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash? The reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term. Whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor, whether that's sell part of it or some of it, essentially just have as many choices as you want. But what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going, but we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way, and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials, and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner, and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. Well, it's good morning over here, Jonathan. I, I think it's probably what three, four in the afternoon there. Yes, it's mid-afternoon. It's a <laughs> it's a spring-like day, and the sun is shining for the first time in a very long time. Well, that's awesome. I'm in Minnesota. We just got more snow, so it, and it's March fifteenth or whatever the heck it is. So I, I feel you, man. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to this, Jonathan. I I, uh, I, I get a lot of the the uh, podcast brokers that reach out, like trying to get people on the show, and. The amount of times I say no is ridiculous, but like I saw your cut sheet and I was like, oh, that seems like there's a lot of meat on that bone for the story. I'm super excited for this conversation because you've been busy over the last handful of years and you got a lot of practical experience. So why don't you just kind of give me and the listeners like the flyby and then we'll have plenty to unpack. Yeah, sure. So I uh, I dropped out of university when I was 19. I was studying French and, and doing it very, very badly and realized that if I didn't drop out, they were going to kick me out. So I, I left to uh, to start a small business, and I always wanted to be in business. Uh, my my parents were were self employed. They weren't really business owners. They didn't see it as a business. They saw it as a job where they paid themselves rather than someone else paying them. But uh, I'd been in that environment all my life, and I, I knew that I wanted a big business. Didn't really care what the business was was doing i just i just why did you why did you want a big business though like that's I super know, fascinating I guess, I guess it's a a feeling of significance a little bit of ego in there as well i'm I'm kind of past that stage now now by the way 
and uh, I, I, I tried different things for a few years. Um, and then in my, in my mid to late 20s, uh, really uh, uh, struck it lucky when I sold a, a publishing company. But I'd started two and a half years earlier. But the key point with this is that I made more money the day I sold it than I had in the previous two and a half years of turning up at the office every day, hiring and firing staff, the cash flow nightmares. And then I sold it and I thought, wow, I've made all this money. And it was just a horrible business. But uh, uh, but it was a bit of an eye opener that you could do that. Um, and then did you know that prior? No. Did you know like like in the uh, super fascinating because one of my one, one of my favorite things to dig into, Jonathan, is like when during the entrepreneurial journey, people kind of like have this light bulb, like, holy crap, this thing's an asset. And it's not all yeah. about in the US in the US we call it the K ones or solving for annual income. Like how much can I how much cash can I suck out of this company versus like what will this thing be worth at the end? So yeah. how did that how did that mindset shift happen for you? Well, I mean these were different yeah, you know, these were different days. So this this was this was back in 1999. So yeah, we had the internet, but it was yeah, it, it wasn't like it is today. There was no YouTube, there was no Facebook, mm-hmm. there was no TED Talk. So so the the whole of acquisition, selling businesses, exiting. You know, there weren't there wasn't a, a Shark Tank or a Dragon's Den show. None of that existed. So it was people weren't so aware of of that. And and I certainly wasn't. Um, and when the buyer approached me, I, I thought there was a catch. <laughs> I thought, yeah, there's, there's, there must be a catch to this. And no, they actually wanted to give me money for this business. So it 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 took a while. To be fair, it, even then, it still took a while for it to dawn on me that actual actually I could make money buying and selling businesses. But because I had that startup mentality, what did I do? I went to started another another business, and, uh, and that was a, a really really good business. That did make money. That made a lot of money. Which one? Um, so it was a, a business called the Coaching Academy, and we were right there at the beginning of the whole life coaching thing, which is now very mm. very mature. Yeah, everyone's been there and done it. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we were the largest in the world, the largest life coach training school in the world. We had thousands and thousands of students all offline. We didn't we didn't do anything online. Yeah, right. the amount of pay- I used to be in the paper copier business, Jonathan. You were probably our best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. We were producing the manuals. We were hiring the conference <laughs> rooms. And, and I and, and this was between 99 and 2007. So there was no Facebook. Um, we used AdWords to drive most of our business, very proactive with the marketing, and we built a, a sizable business. And then an interesting opportunity came along, which was to buy our major competitor. And, uh, and, and this was a company that was still also based in the UK, nibbling at our, at our, at our heels, uh, annoying us for five years. And they were also, were they were they were they there prior to you guys starting the business or no they they were founded by a client of mine oh no who way went and um, uh, got some of my staff to go and work for him so I see a, that slight 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 grin on your face which means I'm sure there's a couple of motions underneath <laughs> that. <laughs> there, there, there was a, a very strong competitive tension um oh, man. It, there was uh it, it was it, it actually got me out of bed every morning and made me go and 
and push a little bit harder because of these competitors. So when the opportunity came along to buy them, it was an opportunity that I couldn't miss. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm trying to stick it to you, right? That would be exactly. Like, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so awesome. I, I did the deal with the owner in four days. So from finding out about it to owning it took just four days. Oh, my gosh. So when people say, you know, they've been looking at a business for 18 months and sort of trying to figure out how to buy it and everything, that's because they don't have a system. They don't have a process. And I developed a system. I developed a process. I had a very good lawyer. That, that helped a lot. And from finding out about them on the Monday afternoon, I owned that business Friday afternoon of the same week. And then because, but no one knew, just the owner and his son. So on the Monday morning, I went into the office of my competitors and it's like, how did he get in? He's not allowed in here. (laughs) A Trojan horse, here we are. Exactly. And someone, (laughs) and I, I promise you, this is so true. Someone opened their desk drawer, took out my book with my picture on the front, looked at it, looked at me <laughs> and then walked out in disgust. That's awesome. So it was, was that, was that worth the whole purchase price? Oh, right yeah. there? I got my money worth there. there. <laughs> That's awesome. Absolutely. So that was an interesting experience. We merged that business into ours and, um, and created a far larger business it removed a lot of the marketing friction. So a lot of our marketing was about competing with them. Who was, who was going to be at the top of Google? So our ad spend was quite high. So remove uh, them yeah. from the market. And actually, our ad spend came down, which increased our profitability. Our sales went up as well because the sales weren't being split between them and us. And we had a, a very, very good business. Like true definition of the synergies on top of that. What was the size of the total like team? After the acquisition? Oh, a, a team in, in staff members. So I had at that point, let me think. So that was um, that was 2006. So I had about 23, maybe. They had maybe 17. Uh, we didn't take all of their staff. I mean, yeah, they didn't want to work for the competitor. Um, I, I, I did actually uh, have a really good, uh, they, took, uh, they had a great graphic designer, fantastic graphic designer. So I took him and that really improved all of our marketing and oh, advertising. Cool. That really was a, a huge benefit. Um, and a couple of customer service people for the, for the transition of the customers over. Uh, and then I thought, well, this is now the time to sell. We're on an upward growth curve. And I think so many owners leave it till they are at the top of the growth curve or worse, on the way back down the other side. And the the entrepreneurially minded person is always saying next year is going to be better. We <laughs> Been do, there do, myself. <laughs> yeah, we say next week's going to be better. Next month's going to be better. You know, don't, don't worry about you know, this poor quarter. Next quarter is going to be amazing. But next year is always going to be better. And next year isn't always better. That that <laughs> the last like three four years have uh, been uh, yeah uh, proof of that right. It's knowing when to get out, and it's getting mm-hmm. that timing right. And it, it's more luck than judgment in many in many cases. You know, there's really interesting. Just a small comment on that is uh, um, I have uh, Brian Bilio from ITR Economics has been on the show now doing this regular quarterly deal. In ITR Economics is a Vistage uh, speaker too, Jonathan. So they go around there acting or practicing economists. So 
they have this leading indicator, uh, this book called Moving for uh, or Make Your Move, where you're tying to the business cycles of all these yes. different data points. So, and it's two two points of my uh, story here is that one is that they actually in their book they were saying legitimately they will go in and onboard a client and the owner's like, oh, it's great, it's great. And like they're headed right into the downward part of the cycle. And people are like, yeah, it's great. So it's like even us entrepreneurs who think it's always great just lie to the, or we just ignore the data because of our, uh, I, I our, we, our we desire for control. Optimistic. We're <laughs> yeah, way totally. too optimistic for our own good. And yeah, you know, optimism is if, if you, you know, I, I've had lots of meetings with private equity firms. I've done about 25 pitches. And the optimism of the entrepreneurial founder compared to the um, very conservative, very prudent, cautious approach to private equity, it's two completely different people. Um, but that's another, that's another story. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so I thought, you know, this is the time to get out. And I felt like the market was changing. I felt like demand might start to drop off because, yeah, I was riding a wave of popularity late 1990s, early 2000s, life coaching, business coaching was all the, all the rage. And there was more and more competition. And I started to feel oh, this, this could, this could mm-hmm. go wrong at some point. Now, I was actually wrong about that because... <laughs> because it's like a $5 billion industry now or I something like that. I did sell that business. And, uh, but I sold that business so in 2007. So that's 10, 13, 16 years ago. And it's still going strong. So oh, wow. it didn't fall off a cliff. It didn't, you know, the market didn't collapse. It, it, had, it had at least another 16 years left. Any regrets of selling it? No, I think that I had done my time. I was, I was ready for a new challenge. And I must admit, I didn't really see where I could take it next. Knowing what I know now, then there were so many things that we didn't do. We didn't really make the most of the internet. But then it was 2007 and maybe, you know, video. People, are still, people are still putting the, the URLs on uh, car wrappers. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And it was, it was, yeah, you know, it, it was, it was CompuServe and AOL and all of those, uh, all of those things. So, so it was, so, so I don't regret it. Um, I think that I probably never appreciated what an amazing business it was. It was an incredible business. I mean, you know, we, what's your we, definition of an incredible business? Well, the 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 clients loved what we did. That that made life so much so much better. Um, it wasn't a difficult business to run. It felt like it at times, but it it, it wasn't really a difficult business to run. And yeah. You know, it was a profitable business. It was. I was going to say cash flow, man. It's okay. It's okay to say dividends. It was a really, it was a really profitable business. Yeah. Um, right. And and actually, it was a profitable business with reasonably little effort. If you know, if I if I'd if I'd recruited some some really good people to run different aspects of it, it could have. It, it, it could have doubled in size very easily. Knowing, knowing Let's what put I a pin in that. I want to. I want to come back to that. And like, it also, as you continue to go down your story, Jonathan, kind of just plant some seeds. Come uh, talking about how you went about acquiring these and selling the kind of more of the mechanics of that. But sure. I want, I'm liking the story first, but we can kind of come back to that because I think what you just said is a is a huge um, fork in the road that a lot of people have. Is do I hire someone? to run this asset or do I actually sell my job and my asset at the same time? And there's this huge kind of dilemma mm-hmm. that people don't necessarily understand the difference of those two. We can kind of, you can kind of just use that however you want throughout the conversation. So I want to keep you going, but um, yeah, it's sure. fascinating that you, you brought that up. So I, 
I, I was actually looking at buying buying another business to bolt onto it, and I approached um, uh, you know, I, I, I approached all of the big big trading companies in the sector around the world. The biggest one in the US uh, is co- called Coach University. I don't even know if they they're still around. I'm sure they are because it's a very good business. So I approached I approached uh, I approached Coach University. Um, yeah, any, any anyone I could find, but I couldn't do a deal of the size that I was looking for. Lots of smaller businesses. I was looking for a larger one, and I, I thought this is the time to uh, to, to sell. Um, made the decision on the first of January two thousand and seven. Sold it November the seventeenth two thousand and seven um, to a London-based private equity firm. Um, they um, they've they've sold it on about five years after that, and it's currently owned. Actually, it was sold in a management buyout. It's currently owned by someone that I recruited as a trainer back in two thousand. Oh, cool! Uh, oh, so that's kind of awesome. How's it make you feel? Stayed in the family. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly being well looked after. I mean, she knows what she's doing. So, yeah, it's it's it, it's uh, it's it's got a very fond place in my heart because that business actually rescued my financial life. Yeah, it, it was it was a a, a really um, a pivotal moment for me and it allowed me to do things which you know I, I still I still live in the house that the sale of that business um bought for me oh that's so cool so I what about the first situation the first sale led to some sort of rescuing that was needed so, so what was the what was the connection? Because because you sold one business right, and then the publishing business was the second one, right? Did I get that right? Yeah. So the first the first business that was the publishing the publishing. Business. Okay, so that's what, and the second one was the coaching business. I'm sorry, I got those inverted. Yeah. So, but the but that business the second business the coaching business that you sold you said saved your financial life. Well, so not what, so much the sale of it, but the actual bus, the business itself. Oh, so, got it, got it, got so it. The, so the backstory uh, to that was that. I had uh, so this, the publishing business, as I said, it, it made some money one month. It made a bit of a loss the next month. It wasn't a great business, but in the background, I, I was running up some credit cards. Um, I couldn't afford to fix my car. You know, I I, um, I had some arrears on my mortgage, which apparently is quite a serious thing. You're meant to pay it every month, but uh, but I, I, <laughs> and so I was getting some some unpleasant letters, and the the sale of the publishing business was was a good thing but the start of the next business was the life-changing thing got it and and i went from someone who had to check the price of the groceries uh before buying them to someone who could you know i I could buy my my parents a new car um you know uh, i paid off my sister's credit card bills I, I, i was able to do things that i i i felt i felt worthy all of a sudden mm-hmm. yeah i mm-hmm. didn't have that i you know one occasion i remember the embarrassment of being at the supermarket and uh and not having enough money to pay for the groceries at the counter and having to put some things back oh and I my thought, god that's I... just that's just not good i should not be in this situation so Will that feeling ever leave you um no it's interesting you should say that actually but uh i still don't like opening my post my mail Isn't that crazy? My mail. yeah yeah because i remember how terrifying it was that there could be another bill that i can't pay and another bill that i can't pay and there's the utilities and there's my phone and you know i'm 
past worrying about whether I can pay pay the bills, but I still but it's have still that. there, yeah. Yeah, I, I actually I opened some posts today, and and it's kind of I, I leave it for a few days. Like, no, I've got to do it, Jonathan. <laughs> man up, open the post. <laughs> it's like a trauma it's, I, I carry with me. Oh no, I, it's PTSD, man, for sure. I uh, um I definitely have plenty of uh, random quirks like that from a decade ago. <laughs> I mean, it's just a small comment, Jonathan. It's it's so ridiculous because when my dad and I went through our hardship in the business and all the, I mean, we had cash flow, ma- major cash flow issues because we were incorrectly financed. We were essentially financing our receivables for like 11 years. Um, we had no line of credit really. And so 09, 08 and 09 hit us like a ton of bricks. And no, I interviewed like 17 banks. No bank would give us financing, even an SBA loan that's backed by the freaking government. And now everybody gets free money. And I was back then I was asking like waitresses and waiters for capital. I was asking anybody that until money was always scarce, man. And now it's like, even though it's just everywhere, I'm still like shocked from it. I mean, it's, it's a thing that to your point, and I appreciate you sharing. It doesn't go away. Yeah, it, it, I, I, absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I have a seven year old daughter and, you know, I, I explained to her that when she asks for another toy, that someone, i.e. me, has to work in order to create that. So she realizes that it doesn't just come from, you know, from, from nowhere. Oh, is that awesome, dude? Oh, that's awesome. There is a link. So, so when daddy's working, daddy's paying for your toys. <laughs> That's awesome. A little harsh on a seven-year-old, but uh, but it's just. Oh like- no, I got my, my six and a half-year-olds. Man, the the plow guy was out uh, recently, and we were making. My wife was explaining that she's Venmoing the plow guy, and we're giving we're giving the plow guy some money, but he has to work for that, right? Is what she said, and I was like, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, I digress a, a lot, but go back. So, so the the. The coaching business gets you out of that that rut. Absolutely. How did that change your mindset and what you thought about the future and what you were planning on doing? Well, it frees up your mind, doesn't it? If you're worrying about money and paying the bills, you're, you're thinking about today. You're not thinking expansively. You're not thinking about what's possible. And as soon as you remove that that concern about, yeah, can I get through today, this week, this month, you start thinking more strategically um, you think bigger. And, you know, I've, I've never worked for anyone else. I've never had a job. I, I've always done my own thing. And, you know, I know just from you know, listening to, to talk radio, you know, many, many people in the UK and around the world are, are, are often trapped in a salary that is not enough to get beyond paying what is required to get through life. They, there's never enough left no. over. Even if you, even if you straight line, I totally agree with you, Jonathan. And like, you know, after we sold, uh, in 2014, I had like an 18 month deal ish where I was doing some finance and wealth management. And I just looked at the straight line math and I'm like, you have two couples. If you have a couple that both make a bunch of money and they'd maxed out their retirement, like now it's like 20 grand each. You look at the straight line math. I'm like, that's still a son of a bitch to retire. Yeah. That's at the end of the rainbow if everything goes well. And so yeah. to your point, like there's a lot of hope that the system stays in place to make sure it all works. I know. So um, I was very proud of my daughter when uh, this weekend she was making a list. And I said, what are you doing? She's making uh, she's making a list of businesses that she could have. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Ice cream business, <laughs> hairdressing <laughs> business. So, That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah. 
So I sold to I sold to private equity. Financially, that was a, a, a life changing a life changing deal, and um, and you know I, I'm still very grateful that I had that uh, that. Did option. you roll some equity in there, and did you have a role with your leadership? No, I, no. I, I, <laughs> no way. And I tell, I tell you why I was exited right at the at the point of of, of closing. It was because um, it was uh, what we call a bimbo, uh, which is a buy in management buyout. So someone, a, a particular individual, had seen that my business was for sale and thought, I want to run that business. And he had, he had some capital and he went to some private equity people that he knew and he said, Here's some, I'll put some money in, you fund the rest of it and I'll run that business for you. So he wanted me out because he wanted my job. So that first, oh my God, so awesome. Because in the, I don't know if you've heard of Walker Diable, the Acquisition Entrepreneur yeah, Search sure. Funds. I think we should have a, a, a campaign to change that title to Bimbo. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's essentially the same thing, right? Where you have one individual that wants to do the role, has yeah. some upside in the equity because they don't have enough capital. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. buy, it, buy awesome. in management, buy out. Yeah. So, so um, awesome. You don't actually hear that phrase very often these days, I've noticed. But, uh, but, but back then in the 2000s, <laughs> we, we, we talked about that a lot. So, so that was amazing. I went and bought some, some real estate and uh, you know, house, uh, sort of family-sized family house and some, some rentals. Uh, why did you choose the private equity in that situation? Sorry, how did I? Yeah, why did you choose them versus? And then were you ready to go to market? Like, uh, no, we we actually, um, my advisor and I looked at several different opportunities, okay. and we looked at their funding structure. We looked at their ability to to follow through on the deal, and you know, the the, the one thing that is massively in favor of of private equity is that you know they are professional about it. So they said we'd have a term sheet by the end of the week. And there it was. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we kind of did the usual, you know, we want some proof that you got the equity. And uh, there was the letter from the bank the next day. I mean, yeah, so they're really on it, really, really awesome. on the board. Cool. And, I, and I think, I think, you know, I, I vaguely keep in touch with them today. And, uh, you know, they, I, I think they're a great, uh, great organization. That's awesome. So then, I mean, I can't even imagine the mindset shift, like you were saying, it's more expansive. So then what did you start thinking about to do? And I don't know if it was money that you got uh, that, at closing that was retirement amount, or you yeah. obviously you invest in some real estate. So like, what do you do with your mind and your purpose and like what you're going to be focused on? Well, this was this was the problem, because I, I had a terrible work life balance. And I didn't have any hobbies, any interests. I didn't play golf. You know, how do you fill how do you fill your time? And you know, my, my friends were all all working. So I couldn't just say, Let, let's go and hang out for for a few days because they said, No, oh, Jonathan, I've got to go to work. Um, <laughs> totally. so, so I was I was didn't have anything to do and I was by myself. And what made it even worse, my girlfriend at the time, she worked for that business. So she was coming home every day and saying, Oh, they're doing this and they're doing that. So I was kind of like and it was in like left out FOMO while yeah, also it was, alone. It was located <laughs> on the main street of the town that I was living in, and I drive past it every day as well. So, oh. so uh, <laughs> it's, it's not it's not good for your mental health. So, <laughs> totally. Um, so that so so I I felt I needed to do something quickly, and 
Yeah, I, I love speaking to groups. I love talking about um, M&A and, and my experiences. So, you know, I did a, a few conference presentations talking about how I did the deal and and, and, and everything because people were interested. You know, when they when you mm-hmm. meet someone who sold a business, people people always want to know, don't they? They want to know, how do you do it? How do you structure it? So I, I did some conferences and I was looking around for the for the next thing. And I... I did several things that I'm picking out the more interesting things to tell. I won't tell you about the, the things. That I was gonna say, we, otherwise we could be here for a yeah. couple of years, but no, I, I, I get it. But here's, a, here's, a, here's a good one. So I, I bought a, a group of seven digital marketing businesses from a private equity fund. And the deal took 12 weeks, which is ridiculously long, seeing as I only paid $1 for <laughs> these businesses. I don't know how we could take twelve weeks to negotiate one dollar, um, but they started off. They wanted they wanted some serious money, and it ended up being 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 a dollar. A dollar, and it was a very very complicated deal. I mean, my 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 legals were um, about a hundred and let me put this into dollars about two hundred thousand um, oh. dollars because you know nothing that private equity does is is straightforward and simple. It was just unbelievable amounts of paperwork, but I ended up with a business that was doing about uh, $7 million of annual revenue, digital marketing, search engine optimization, Facebook ads, video production, social media, the usual things, web web design. And the problem was, and the reason I could buy it for a dollar was that it was losing money, unsurprisingly. And I knew why it was losing money. It was overstaffed. They had 85 staff, couldn't understand what 85 on 7 million in revenue yeah for an agency holy buckets and i'm, I'm walking around <laughs> this building two two level building and i'm oh, looking nice. around, Why not, right what are they doing i i'm, I'm thinking yeah you know, if it, if that was now what i would have been thinking was i could replace all these people with artificial intelligence <laughs> you know, all right. the con- all the- and we're working from home so the seven million dollar business as is normal just remove all the so, stuff so i it was over um overstaffed but that wasn't really their fault. It was the fault of the management. And the management were taking $200,000 salaries, uh, driving beautiful Audis that were parked up outside and, uh, and really making the most of, um, of, of, of being part of this business. Uh, and that was one of the reasons why I was losing money. So I got rid of them on day one. That was a pretty sort of uh, pretty tough call, but they, they had to go immediately. And we slimmed down the business to rescue it. And we ended up with a smaller business. So we stopped doing all the things that were losing money. Yeah, the web design department, I mean, it was terrible. It was really terrible. They, they were underquoting on jobs. So, so the job was actually costing more to deliver than it, they were getting in in revenue. So I closed that down. Closed down social media, uh, which wasn't very good anyway. Closed down the video production that didn't do very much. So I slimmed down the number of people and focused on the advertising, the AdWords and the Facebook and the search engine optimization, mm-hmm. which which is more profitable the more profitable yep, yep. so question question on that <clears throat> did um so as you and it kind of goes into the, again planting the seed for kind of your overall like as we probably wrap up the conversation overall thoughts on MA and valuations and stuff like that but like when you think about you assessing like what you can do with that company when you if you were to take it over did you know if you were going to have the data to make those decisions because like what you said makes sense, but I think like there's a lot of times that people buy a company also kind of goes back to your earlier comment about, you know, selling that fast. It's like assessing, do you have the information and how truth, 
how much truth is in whatever it is that you're getting because all of those strategies oh, make yeah. sense and what to do but it's like if you're just guessing that's a whole different set of problems yeah so, so they had because they were private equity owned they had quite detailed financials mm, okay. now yeah. whether they were accurate or not is another matter <laughs> okay. you, you you don't really know unless you do them yourself um but they did have quite detailed financials and they were thinking, um, yeah, the reason they were doing loss-making web design is because they said that then bought in the SEO clients. But I was thinking quite short-term. I was thinking, I'm going to buy this, and I'm going to sell it as fast as possible. I'm not, I'm not going to hang around. Yeah, this, 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 this has to be sold quickly. Now, I was on an anti-embarrassment clause in, in the sale and purchase agreement, which meant that I couldn't sell it for six months. Why embarrassment clause? I don't know if that's something. I don't know. Maybe one of the listeners can prove me wrong, but I have not heard of that in the U.S. So, so the the purpose of it is probably called something different. The purpose of it is is that if if we sell you this business for a dollar, and then you go and sell it for a hundred thousand dollars the day after, we're going to look pretty stupid. We're going to be embarrassed by that. (laughs) They actually have something called the anti embarrassment clause. That's. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm going to have to process that one. <laughs> that's, uh, that's it's actually reasonably common here, you know. It's um, interesting. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. And and it's to stop people from feeling they can make a, a fast buck out of a out of a situation. Yeah. But, interesting. Which, it's like hitting like a speed bump, but in in, in deal flow. So, so it was a, anyways. It was a six month um, agreement not to not to do anything. So I waited six six months and one day. Six months and one day. <laughs> And it took me about 12 weeks again to sell the business. And I sold it. So so the, my ownership was 11 months. So I only owned it for 11 months. And it went from, you know, 5 million of revenue with 85 staff to 3 million of revenue with 12 staff. So very, very profitable. And that 3 million was recurring billing with the SEO contracts. And, and, yeah, and so, yeah. so, so I sold it to a competitor. Um, uh, do, doing a similar sort of business who, who were delighted to get their hands on another, I don't know, thousand customers or whatever it, whatever it was, really delighted to do that. And it was a great deal. And I sold it for approximately $2 million. Wow. Um, so did you have to, did you, were you concerned about like the turmoil that there was 12 or 15 people that were still there were going to yeah. go through? Did like, did you converse with them? Did they have stay bonuses or how did you make sure yeah. that they didn't? So, so um, I put in place a manager who's also a business coach. So um, uh, I don't know whether you come across action, international action, mm-hmm. the action coaching. So he was an action mm-hmm. uh, coach and I, I knew him because he'd actually been a client of mine at one point. So uh, he, he was very, very good with people. He's far better with people. I'm, I'm not so good with the people side of things. So, so I let him, I let him do that. And uh, he, he really, you know, he looked after everyone. There was a lot of that um, sort of remorse and, you know, our friends have, our friends have gone, uh, which is another reason why I had to sell this business really quickly. Because if half a dozen people walked out on Friday, didn't come back, then I wouldn't have a business to sell. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I pushed through the deal and it was a good deal. Now, despite that being a good deal, I never, ever recommend to anyone that they buy a distressed business. Because you may only pay a dollar for it, but you will pay in time, uh, anxiety, stress. Yeah. yeah, sleepless nights. And you might even have to put money in to keep it going. 
So, so never buy a one dollar a one dollar business unless you know exactly what you're doing. Well, you make me feel a little bit better about my old situation 15 years ago. <laughs> it's like I don't think we should do an internal buyout when we've got some uh, some hair on this. So yeah, I mean, it's it's tough work, man. I mean, like the, pulling pulling that pulling that uh, plane up from a nosedive is it's a different skill set than managing a bunch of cash flow with a lot of breathing room. Yeah, abs- abs- absolutely, and. Yeah, never say never. But right now, I'm not sure if I'm really at the stage in life. I I want to go through that sort of thing again. I mean, it was, <laughs> Why would you want to, right? Well, it's far better to buy a successful, profitable business that's making money. So if it's making money before you buy it, and you take the owner out, and it's still making money, that money's all yours from the very first day that you own it. So, so that is far more um, appealing, I think. And all of the people that I help buy businesses, it's always let's buy a successful, profitable business. Don't get caught up in the $1, $1 deals. So let's just fast forward to the pandemic, if that's okay. Yeah, because yeah. I think this is an interesting. Absolutely. I bought 48 businesses during the pandemic. And people ask me what advice I would give them about buying 48 businesses during the pandemic. And I would say, don't buy 48 businesses. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here. Well, I, I, that was part of your cut sheet. Yeah. I'm just like, I, I got so many questions, man. Like... During a pandemic. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you know what? It was so stressful. And I actually ended up in hospital. As a, as a result no of that way. stress, so um, I overdid it. I I'm um, I probably uh, overestimated my ability to handle multiple situations at the same time. Um, you know, we were we were closing on sometimes two deals a week. You know, it it was uh, whoa. So that was hard work. Why? Why did you? Yeah. Why did you go about doing that? Well, it was a strategy, and whether it was the right strategy or the wrong strategy, I'm still not entirely sure. But um, the strategy was this. At the beginning of the pandemic, really about three years ago to, you know, from like from damn near right now. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. yeah. Like this actually like this next Friday, to, well, tomorrow's Friday. It'll be like three years to the day. It was like, oh, crap, it's all shutting down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I I was on the phone to my business partner standing behind where I'm sitting now, leaning up against that mantelpiece. And uh, we were saying, look, we've got two options. We pull back on our expansion plans. We had five locations uh, for that business at that point. Or what was the business? It. So this is uh, childcare, uh, edu- edu- kindergarten education. Yeah. Wow. So we had five locations. Do we push ahead or do we pull back? And we decided to push ahead. And all of our competitors who are private equity backed stopped acquiring. Everyone stopped because they didn't know what was going to happen and and private equity likes certainty uh, but we were entrepreneurial and we thrive in uncertainty roll the dice uh, <laughs> so it was an interesting situation because everyone else stopped buying in that sector so we were the only buyers but everyone wanted to sell because of the uncertainty so the uncertainty stopped the buyers but the uncertainty created sellers Oh my God. So you were the one market maker essentially. <laughs> so we oh had all the God. business brokers come to us uh, where we not used them before. You know, we hadn't sort of paid any interest uh, to them and, uh, and, and it went a little bit crazy and it was a like, little bit, 48, 48 businesses. Yeah. And, Jonathan, and, I can, but Ryan, oh. it was, it was too crazy. It was, I, I cannot explain the, the whirlwind that we were in where we 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 bought so many businesses 
Linda, my business partner, and I would be having a conversation and we wouldn't know which one. I'd be saying, no, it's the one up on the hill. And she goes, well, which one up on the hill? I said, I don't know what it's called. It's the one on the hill. And she goes, is, is it the one with the green door? I said, I don't know. I've never been to one with a green door. Is there one with a green door? So, oh I mean, that's not right. That's not what's meant to happen. So oh. uh, we, the, the, the cause of the stress was that we did not have a good management team. Because pre-COVID, uh, it was, um, we, we were, um, you know, we, we didn't need a management team because the business wasn't big enough. So we didn't need a, a good mm-hmm. management team. During COVID, so many, we, we had a furlough scheme here where people could stay at home, not work, and still be paid. So we couldn't recruit people to come and work for us because they say, well, why would I get paid to come and work for you when I can get paid and stay at home? I'll wait to I'll wait to I'll wait to till right. COVID's all over. And of course, it lasted longer than we thought it was going to last. I mean, the first lockdown in the UK was three weeks, and naively, I thought this was going to be over in three weeks. You know, it, so, so how many of those LOIs did you dish out in those three and a half weeks of those we forty-eight? Went, we just went, we just went crazy. So, oh my gosh, yeah. So um, we were getting very, very good deals. Uh, sometimes we were paying practically nothing at all, paying very, very little, very, very good deals. Probably only a couple that we overpaid on, um, but in the scheme of things, that's a very small percentage. Right. Um, so where yeah. where were you guys? Uh, you don't have to give any numbers if you don't want, but like capital source and what like debt to equity, how you were applying that? Because the way I'm kind of thinking about this, Jonathan, is like. I just got done uh, doing one of the economic and M&A updates, and we were talking about kind of the activity of private equity versus strategics right now. And private equity, even though they've got the one and a half trillion dollars, you know, already committed that they have to buy companies with, they've pushed, they've pulled back a little bit because my guess is they're all recalculating their IRRs of what they can actually pay in the debt to equity structure. So they're back to their drawing board of the modeling so they can hit the IRR to the people that they raised the money from originally. And so that's why I'm asking this question of like, I'm assuming they all pulled back at this moment too, because they're trying to figure out like what, how, how, how they're going to do everything. So what was your guys's mandate? Where was the money? Was it your guys's money? Was it, you know, some of your equity and debt and from banks? I'm just kind of curious of what was driving and allowing this. Well, no one was lending. Um, We, we actually had a funding line that was pulled on March 24th, 2020. So, so we, we didn't, we didn't have any external funding. So we did oh all gosh. of this entirely from uh, cash flow. Wow. So, so that made it tough as well because our competitors were, you know, again, the private equity-backed competitors were sitting on, you know, tens of millions. And then our, um, the, the more established businesses in the sector were able to apply for government-backed loans that were helping businesses during COVID. And, and we couldn't do that because we were too new a business. So we were trapped in this sort of, we, we couldn't we couldn't raise debt. Right. So we had to do it a different way. So we had to just be better at negotiating the price down, structuring the deal. Uh, you know, in some of the acquisitions, the seller paid us. Exactly. Just to get rid of the liability, just to get rid of the liabilities <laughs> well, or something like that? Well, what actually what had happened in, in, in the cases I'm thinking of is that the seller had, had received income for services they'd not yet provided. Yeah, no. I, so, so they had to I give us it. that income. Mm-hmm. And that income effectively, it, part of it was given back to them. Part of their own money was given back to them for for the, um, for yeah. the acquisition. Holy buckets, man. Where 
Where along that timeline did you know that you were holding on to a dragon's tail? So we had the opportunity to bring on board a private equity investor about 18 months after we started. And it was an amazing deal. It was a 100 million pound valuation. They were going to put 20 million pounds into the business for 20%. They were minor- minority investors. Were they going to, did they want you to keep it in there or were you able to take you, that money you, out? You ask all the right questions. Uh, <laughs> you're absolutely right. So 10 million pounds, which is about 12, 13 million dollars stayed in. And then shareholders, Linda and myself, 10 million pounds. Pulled out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was, I know that people get a, like a little like, Oh, we got this money. Oh wait, we have to keep it in here. Oh wait, I don't get it. And now I have a boss. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. It sounds way cooler no, than it I'm, is. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been able to cash out mm-hmm. and de-risk. And the so we went through a three three month period of exclusivity. Uh, we love it. 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 Oh, we don't love it. Uh, you're too early stage. I thought, but you knew that right from the start. Uh, but it was just <laughs> right. it was just the way it was. But it was very very disappointing. Um, but during that time, we during that period of exclusivity, we weren't allowed to go and talk to any debt providers or any equity investors, understandably, because what if we went and found a debt provider that, you know, got us, a, you know, it was, a, it was a better deal over. So yeah, refinance it, the whole thing and keep it. Yeah, it, actually, get it actually set us back a little bit on our, on our sort of journey for, for, for funding. And, and, and also, you know, we'd bought businesses during, during lockdowns and, and closures and I think it's fair to say in some sectors, the standard of delivery reduced because there wasn't any ongoing training, staff development took a back seat, motivation levels went down, people didn't want to go back to work. So there wasn't the teamwork there. And a, a lot of people really don't like uncertainty in general. So some people left the sector and went and worked in a supermarket instead because the pay rates over here for, for childcare are very, very low. Oh my God, Jonathan. I mean, honestly, man, like I sit here and as you're explaining it, cause my, I got daughters that are six and a half. So three years ago, they were three and a half. I was the customer of these childcare centers. We went through four. There was the first one, Jonathan, that we loved that their kids were going to. And I, you probably don't have, well, you probably don't have them because the VFW, it's like, uh, actually, this is terrible. I, I don't know what VFW stands for. Uh, Veterans Foreign Affairs, or anyways, that's terrible. I apologize, listeners, any vets, I truly apologize. But the VFW is like, it's like these bars that, you know, vets will go into. And I'm like, all of a sudden, like, it was like all of like the, 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 the bar across the street, everybody was taking care of our kids. I was like, what's going on here? Like all of a sudden, all the teachers that we knew were gone. And then like the lockdowns up and down, up and down, like the amount of uncertainty oh, from just the standard of care, clothes. let alone I can't, yeah, I can't even imagine the cash flow nightmare of that, man. Like, oh my gosh. Well, let me compound it even more for you. We were operating in quite deprived areas of the country. Mm. And then at, at the uh, beginning of twenty let me get my years right, 22, we started to have our utility bills increase. Oh, shit. Uh, Because of fuel bills went higher. And then utility 
And you know, even here today, my, in my home, my bill is double what it was a year ago. Well, I know. I've, watched, I've been watching your guys' energy prices, Jonathan. Yeah. I mean, I get it, man. So, so then people crap. say, look, do we pay the bill to keep the heating on? Or do we put our child into, into kindergarten, into nursery? And they would choose the heating. So, and, and then, you know, we were working in lots of areas where there was government funding and then um, a, a bit of a top up from the parents. And getting $100 out of people sometimes is really difficult really really difficult where you know if, if we'd been in a different part of the country where um you know people were paying uh, you know down down in london you have people paying two thousand dollars a month for childcare. that's a more resilient business model because they're private payers rather than it's government money plus a got it got it. It, well, it's, it's a different it's model. so interesting it is it is and like there's a lot it's mainly private here in the u.s i mean like and dude, like Jonathan, like I would say like on a, on a scale of one to 10 of the daycare, our kids were going to a center because there's not a lot of in-home ones around here. And so our kids were going to centers and I'd rate them like a six out of 10, man. Like they're not doing sign language, learning Spanish. There's no nurse on staff and it's more than my mortgage. It was $3,000 a month. And I'm sitting going, they went to, they went to daycare, got mac and cheese that I would have given them at home. That's a 99 cent box and they're alive. Yeah. And like. And I'm like, I don't know how everybody else is doing this. Honestly, it's like all I continue to think. Yeah. So it's so so there were all these different economic situations, and at the same time, my health was suffering, which caught me by surprise. I mean, I I had uh, stomach pains that didn't I I couldn't stand up straight. I, one particular night, I know that I was awake all night because the pains were keeping me awake. So I I went to the doctor. Doctor sent me in for a colonoscopy which is not the oh, most fun. enjoyable um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fun, fun stuff <laughs> enjoyable situation. And, and actually the colonoscopy was clear. I mean, they, they were looking for something serious and there was nothing there, which, which, and, and I, I kind of almost hoped they were going to find an ulcer or something, mm-hmm. but no, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was all stress related. And I, I went to a hypnotherapist to help me sleep because I've been taking sleeping tablets for two years and the hypnotherapist, uh, which was really helpful she said to me, have you considered psychotherapy? And I what, what do you, I don't need psychotherapy. Why do, why are you ask? Because in the UK, we don't talk about psychotherapy. Okay. Okay. We, you know, we, it's, it's not a subject people talk about. And, it, and uh, over in the U S everybody's got one yeah, now. Exactly. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, she said, I think, I think she said, I think you're carrying a lot of worries and concerns. And uh, so I did the psychotherapy that was very helpful. And then we had an issue in, in, on one particular day, where there were two accidents in two of the, the the locations on the same day, and child broke wrist and an arm, and it's like, oh, oh my goodness! And this is, and so all of this was really getting on top of me. So I I, I made a judgment call. The judgment call was: this business is not going to get easier to run. It's if anything's going to get harder. Cost of we call it the cost of living crisis. I don't know whether you call it that. Yeah, in the US, yeah. Yeah, so it's like I mean, it's just inequality. But you talk, yeah, I mean, like it, it's really interesting. That's where I was going with my three hundred thousand or three thousand dollar month comment, Jonathan. Is like when I look in, regardless of whatever, I, like I do not care what political spectrum people are on. When I look at the economy like a machine, like we all have to make enough money because everybody needs enough money to pay for the shit that you and I as business owners provide, right? Like yeah. if they don't have money, we don't we don't get money. And I think about, I look at all the kids in the daycare centers, I'm like. Are there really that many people that can afford $36,000 after tax to send tax, the kids? Yes. And I had two. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, there's no way. 
And if you look at the percentages and you just go down, like there's not that many clientele mm-hmm. unless there's going to be some su- subsidies behind this. So I totally, so yeah, I agree. They, there's the pinch point in those services that everybody needs, but then you can't apply AI yet anyways, maybe to daycare center teachers. No. But, 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 but yeah, as you're talking about teachers, I had 375 staff oh my gosh. and, and I, I've already told you earlier on, I'm not a people person. So, so, so that was like my a living nightmare for me. So wait, you buy you have three hundred some teachers, and you're working with kids, and you're not a yeah. so, so, so I, I didn't person. actually interact too much directly with the staff, right, right? But I said to one manager who I really liked, I liked this woman very much. I thought we got on very, very well, and I said to her, uh, when I went to visit uh, visit her her location. I, I said to her, great. I said, you're doing a fantastic job, really good. You just need to get the get the numbers up. We just need to get the occupancy up uh, now. But well done, well done. And off I went, thinking nothing of it. She put in a complaint about me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but it's she, kind of she, funny. It's she like... complained to me about me for, for, for <laughs> I was putting her under um... unnecessary pressure. And it was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. So I made a judgment call. I, I thought if I place my health and my family first, I've got a I've got a business here that if I can't raise finance for it, it's always going to be a struggle. Uh, and 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 I and I don't. Were you want, making ends meet? So like, was there any like major liquidity crisis or cash flow crisis, or was there, it? There w- was typically towards the end of every month because our payroll mm-hmm. was half a million dollars a month. Got it. So got it. We had to find half a million dollars. Every mm-hmm. single month. And mm-hmm. if the parents didn't pay us fast enough, remember, the only source of income was from our customers. We didn't have private equity money sitting there. So every single month, the last two weeks of the month, I would, sometimes Dude, I, I... Le- leading up to the very end, I would the end of the month, I would be looking at the bank account balance every single hour. Yeah. Oh, Jonathan, man. Um Oh, my, like I can just, I can feel it from here And my, cause my dad and I, we juggled a $240,000 payroll every two weeks right? and the wire, we'd have to have the cash in the bank on Thursday night for the wire to be transferred for Friday. And we'd hit that every two weeks. Like, Oh, let's go to the cabin and have a captain Morgan. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like, this yeah. is, it's, yeah. and that, that, that anxiety is just like you get because you have to have all that stuff land perfectly for that wire to happen. Oh, a- a- abs- absolutely! And it was very close to the wire sometimes. And uh, and I thought, you know, you know what? Th- this isn't fun anymore. It was fun for a while. It's not fun anymore. So I sold my shares in the business, my stock in the business, to to my business partner. So she owned one hundred percent. Now at the same time, she'd been looking. Did at- she want that, or was she just better off than you were at that point? And, well. She'd been talking um, to an equity partner who would come in, but the equity partner would would turn me into a minority anyway. So mm. either I continued and became a minority in my own business, or um, I basically bowed out completely mm-hmm. at that point, which is what I did. Uh, and and then she did a deal with this. Uh, and what, when when was that? Last year, last summer. Oh man, what a story! What have you been doing since? Uh, well, I took a holiday, um, so I I went on a <laughs> cruise. So. Almost immediately, I went on a cruise and uh, enjoyed. Um, my 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 daughter was away with 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 her her mother at that point, and I went I went away for a week and just enjoyed a cruise. And I've been on a few holidays since, 
And what I really love doing is, is helping other business owners buy businesses and other entrepreneurs buy businesses. So I've doubled down on that. Um, and I, I sit in front of Zoom most of the day, men, either mentoring people or running mentoring groups on Zoom. Uh, I've got a day at a conference center tomorrow with a group of my clients that I'm really looking oh, forward fun. to. So, so that's how I, um, that, that's how I relax. Oh, that's awesome, man. And so I want to go back just a little bit. And so kind of give you a, a couple like contact or con concepts, uh, sorry. And then, uh, ways of thinking that I have really gravitated towards over the last decade, Jonathan, of like, like what, you know, is it worth it? It really is this big question that like, it's crazy, man. Like when I, I was telling you when we first hit record, do a lot of speaking and I'm asking people now, like, do you know if what you're doing is worth it as a business owner leader? And not a lot of people can raise their hand immediately, Interesting. which is crazy. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because like, I don't, I don't fill in the blank. It could be lifestyle, it could be money, it could be whatever it is, because you, everybody can make up their own, is it worth it to you? But they don't know it. And it, which means that they don't even, because like, you can answer your, your yes, I, I know it's not worth it. <laughs> and like immediately yes. raise your hand and be like, I want out. But the fact that there's that many people not knowing is just so fascinating to me. And so kind of this lens of art we have these five principles in our training that we have the first one's your vision like what do you want from the business your your role your legacy the intangible stuff the second principle is your financial targets and the reason i'm bringing this up jonathan is because as you're telling me your story i'm just curious like where your financial personal financial freedom you don't have to tell me any numbers just one wondering like how much was stuck in that business versus not because when i think about the pressure that we hold it's like Sure, my dad and I had a 21 million revenue business, but we didn't have like a pot to piss in for liquidity. So everybody's like, oh, you guys are fine. But it's like, again, if it's $240,000 every two weeks, I mean, like it could go away like that technically. Yeah. So like, I'm trying to give get, gauge the level of s personal financial stress that you were under while this was all happening. Does that make, is the question making sense I, without, I, I without disclosing? Personally, as it, as okay. it happens, I, I wasn't personally. Um, so to me, the individual and the, and the business was sort of se separate. Uh, very separate entities um but but i took it personally i mm -hmm. i i was personally involved because there was never going to be a situation where the staff weren't paid i mean there was no way i would let that i just wouldn't let that happen um mm -hmm. you know so 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 you know i i had people on the phone actually phoning the parents and saying you need to pay today because we had to get that money in. So, so that, that, that took its toll a little bit because you, it's not an enjoyable environment to be in. And I just knew that, yeah, unless we got sort of $5 million, uh, yeah, to, 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 to really push the business forward, uh, that wasn't going to happen fast. It wasn't going to happen via debt because if you've got mm -hmm. that, that cash flow that is a bit choppy, you can't service debt. <laughs> I was just going to say, you threw, if, you, you, if you were to throw a, probably a $10,000 monthly payment on that, it would have probably been enough to, yeah, you know, breaks. Yeah, mine, mine, mine was the same situation, which is why it's so funny, Jonathan. This is essentially why I'm so passionate about finance because I never was. Now it's like, well, in order to actually not have all that stress, if I learn this stuff, that doesn't have to be that hard. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, so, so I was, uh, I was, I was actually quite content to walk away, despite mm. the fact that I put lots of effort into the business in the previous of two and a half years. Mm -hmm. I was really quite content to walk away, and yeah, you, know, you, you got to, you live to fight another day, 
and you know it, it, it there's always other opportunities i'm constantly looking at businesses you know today how, how are you sorry to interrupt but the, the how did you deal with that mental chatter if you had it I, I shouldn't assume um of the i like i'm the entrepreneur i go through to six you know i go through to completion this is my reputation you know all of that stuff i think is what allows is what kind of to our earlier point of the conversation is what is constantly making us think around the next corners more opportunities how did you reconcile the maybe next, maybe tomorrow, this is my identity, my pride, my ego yeah. compared to your health and family? Well, yeah, I, I'd done something that no one had ever done in that sector before, gone from zero to the fourth largest provider in the sector. And that's just not me saying that. That was actually yeah. in, in a, you know, is a, is an annual league table published by the mm-hmm. industry magazine. So we're the fourth largest in the, in the UK. Uh, and I'm, I'm still very, very proud of that. We're just always undercapitalized, uh, which is just mm-hmm. the way it was. You know, part of the opportunity was buying during the pandemic, uh, but part of the downside is we couldn't get finance during a pandemic. So, so, so it was a, it, it was just the way it was was good and bad at the same time. And you know, I, I did a, a couple of sessions with my clients, with my advisory clients, and. They actually told me it was the because I told them the whole story. I told them how it all worked and what worked, what didn't mm-hmm. work, and they said it was the best session I'd ever done. Uh, and people coming up to me and saying, "I'm proud of you." And I thought that wasn't quite the reaction I was expecting, but it's a, it's okay. I'm okay with that reaction. I got trolled a lot on social media. One particular person, sort of, who's, who's kind of a bit of a stalker, uh, sort of uh, ju- just was was writing about me every day. I mean, that's like oh. crazy. I blocked him, obviously. Um, you just don't, oh, want, man. You just don't want. You well, just, I mean, you got that many. You got that many teachers and that many kids. Like, how many kids and how many parents probably then had a voices and opinions about? Oh my god! Well, to be fair, it didn't make any difference to them because the, the, the I mean, a lot. The parents didn't know me. I'd never met any parents. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this was just someone else. Okay. Yeah. So so the fact that there was a change of ownership structure really made Got no it. difference whatsoever to to the to the parents. It made no difference to the staff either. I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, 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 I didn't have that relationship where they were going to miss me. So um, as I, I appreciate you sharing the story, man, because like it, it's that's the real stuff, right? <laughs> it's oh, like, I mean, and it's totally. Yeah, but, but, you know, I did 48 deals, um, well, with the five before COVID. So, so you know, 50, 53 in the group very, very quickly. And it, it, it really sharpened up my sort of acquisition skills. <laughs> I can um, imagine. And, you know, I, I know property leases inside out and backwards. <laughs> right? so, uh, I learned a lot of new stuff during that period as well. Uh, so when you're talking to biz- current business owners, I mean, people that listen in too, obviously, is uh, given that whole journey, how do you help people think through, is it worth it? What's the right business? Like, what's kind of the right recipe for you that equals success? Maybe for yourself, and then how that then translates into how you're talking to other people. Yeah, I, I think I think you've got to clearly define what your goal is and what you're prepared to do to get there. And you know, I I got dragged into operations of this huge business because we didn't have a, a strong management team, so we were always playing catch up, trying to recruit people, recruiting them. The recruitment didn't work out, uh, never really getting that team together. So what I say to people now is, 
have a very clear idea of where you're going and the people that you need on the journey and get the people before the journey's underway. Because when the journey's underway, it's too late to go and get the people or, or you're, you're kind of distracted by so many other things. And decide what it is that you're good at. And you know, I've told you for the third time now, I'm not good with the, the people. I'm not good with operations. Um, I am the, I'm the person who can say, you know what? Let's go and buy 20 manufacturing companies. Let's make it happen. And I can make that happen. And I can do that faster than, than, than anyone. You know, I can make that happen. Uh, but I don't want to get involved with operating a manufacturing company and, and talking to the staff and dealing with the managers because I, I just don't know enough about it, but I can do the deals. So I, I think probably this has been an interesting personal journey for me because I know now that with, with complete certainty what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. How does it make you feel? Which part? Like that clarity. Oh, the clarity. Um, well, I I feel that I should have got. I'm, I'm 51 years old, and I should have uh, I should have realized this maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> do, do you think there? I, and I, I totally get it, man. Do you think there's any other way to figure it out though, rather than experience? Right. No, I mean, I, I think- know a lot of people do personality profiling to sort of to, to understand their strengths and their weaknesses. I've never done that. Uh, maybe I should have done. But I, I I think that experience is the best teacher of everything. I, I agree too, Jonathan. And, and the reason I was asking the question is a few weeks ago, I just got done with a little mini series about like finding your purpose and just the whole like, you know, why are, what, why are we doing this? I mean, obviously the money's got to be part of it, but then there's all the other stuff. And the uh, I don't know if there's any other way to then experience shit you don't ever want to do. Cause like the only reason, you know, you never want to do it is cause you did it. <laughs> and then, yes. or like yes. the experience, I mean, like I have not bought 48 daycare centers, man. <laughs> so like, I don't know if that's my gig or not because I haven't done it. And I just, it's kind of like the, the, that mini series we were talking a lot about, is there a way to actually find your, your purpose without using the cliche version of it, but like the happiness, the fulfillment, the clarity of your right skill sets with the right people without going through all the, the crap, man. And I just I, don't I, know if it's yeah, possible. I think, I think you need to feel it, don't you? Because quite often there are things in life that we put off thinking that we're not going to enjoy them. And then we do it and we go, that was amazing. So right. yeah, it, you know, whether it's a, trying out a new sport or, um, or going somewhere new, you know, you think, Oh, I don't want to go to the, I, I never wanted to go to that country. And then you go and you say, this is amazing. I want to live here. <laughs> so, so you don't know until you try, do you? And I think a lot of people don't try an, enough things. They, they live in a groundhog day loop of, 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 of the same, yeah, day, week, month, year of their life again and again. So trying new things, I think is really important and, and pushing those boundaries and, and not being afraid to fail and but also protecting yourself so that if you don't get it as right as you wanted to get it right that it doesn't it doesn't kill you you know emotionally yeah uh, financially and so forth uh, exclamation point underline highlight to that last, last comment man yeah that was fantastic this has been an absolute blast and an honor jonathan uh two final questions for you the first one um the word intentional. I love asking people's definition of this because I've been done it for a couple hundred times now. Name of the show, obviously. So curious, what does the word intentional mean for you? Well, my immediate association is with uh, is focus and clarity. 
Uh, and and what, I, what I've always seen is that the people who have the, the focus and the clarity on a clear goal with a, a, a route to getting there succeed, where the people who don't have that focus, that clarity, that intention, they don't. Oh, that's beautiful, man. I love it. Last question is where can people find more of you, your material, all the other uh, media stuff that you got yeah, going sure. on? Yeah, sure. YouTube's the best place. So if you type my name into YouTube, uh, you should be able to find me pretty quickly. I've got about 200 videos all about buying a business, interviews with people I've trained to buy businesses. You can even see behind the scenes of all those businesses that I bought during the pandemic. You can, you can see me getting stressed on these uh, sort of fly-on-the-wall documentary-type videos. That's awesome, Jonathan. Hey, my friend, I appreciate you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Ryan. Much appreciated. Thanks for tuning into that episode with Jonathan. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that conversation because I really anticipated him to be more of the, well, by the way, you can buy a business for a dollar down and it's so easy to be an entrepreneur. And he just spewed the truth, man. And what I love about it is there's a huge opportunity for us entrepreneurs to grow companies, to grow value, but having a plan, having a team, and then executing against that plan towards your long-term goal. I love Jonathan's definition of intentional and clarifying that goal financially and the intangibles with principle one is so important because that anchors everything so we can answer the question is, is it worth it? I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it for you or not financially return on life experience. Uh, thanks Ali and Nassir. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know exactly how to answer that question for you, but if you learn and level up your knowledge on how this stuff works, I think you can better answer that question of is it, is it worth it and then get clear in that long-term target equity valuation and exactly what you need to do between now and then. And again, I highly recommend go check out the Intentional Growth Bootcamp. Obviously, I'm a broken record. Two days, it's based on the five intentional growth principles about how to view and run the company like a financial asset. And we cover the grounds of all the stuff that we were talking about today. And as you can probably hear in my voice, understanding finance has br bringing me a level of peace that I have can't even explain. And it's because not knowing is so damn exhausting. And once you understand, even if the current situation isn't beautiful, at least you know what, what reality looks like and then what you got to do to go get back on track or at least accomplish your goals. So anyways, I appreciate you tuning in. Very excited for next week's episode. I have Linda Rose, who is a uh, an ex-CPA and a three-times entrepreneur exit, and she's going to be talking a lot about the emotional, financial, all the di different ups and downs of being an entrepreneur as well, and then what she's up to today. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.